educational purpose only. Yes, guys, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode on the Talking Loud podcast, where we discuss everything dank, sticky, icky, gassy, and all that good stuff. And today, I got a very special guest with us in the house for a very special episode. Now, if you're into living soil, organic systems, and I know a lot of you are, then you'd be just as stoked as I am for today's episode. And I know a lot of you guys know exactly who got us with us today, because we got Jeremy from the Builder Soil Farm. How's it going, Jeremy? What's up, Matt? It's good to be here. I love the vibe, man. Bring the energy. What's up? Oh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, man. Like, I'm super stoked to have you on. It's honestly feels like it's been one of my goals. And ever since, like, we, you know, we were trying to make it happen. It took a little bit of a, a while to make it happen. But we're finally here, man. And that's all that matters, man. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us, dude. How is it going? It's going really well, man. Thanks for being patient with me. The last, I'd say, four or five months of my life has been very busy. I had a lot going on. My wife went through a major surgery, but I'm back for 23. I'm definitely wanting to be out there hanging out. And so it was really, it was really good to see uh, you reach out because we had connected recently at that event in Denver. And so to me, it was like a friend asking instead of somebody that I just had no you know, knowledge of. And so I'm um, happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, man, I appreciate that, man. And yeah, that's exactly how this community really does feel, man. Like when I go out to a lot of these events, man, and I see people that I've never actually met in person before, I feel like I've known them my whole life. You know, I saw you, I came up to you, I literally put my arm around you. I was like, hey, man, like I, I look at your videos all the time. Like, you know, and we sort of made that connection. And that's how it feels with so many other people in the, uh, in the community, man. And it's a great community we have, man. And props to you for that, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, I like that authenticity. You know, you walked up, you smoked with us, you hung. And to me, that's real. Like, there's a lot of soil companies out there. And I don't think you can just walk up to some big commercial soil company and smoke some herb with them and talk about growing plants. Half the time, they don't even grow themselves. They just work at the soil company. Yeah, and so, so true. Then when I see you, and not only did I meet you at the show, but then I started following you and I'd like seen you everywhere. So <laughs> it's pretty cool to see as we start to create content, how far it can go in such a small community. It's really rewarding. 100% man. Well, today's episode is going to be a banger, guys. As you guys can see, we got a special guest with us. It's all about being loyal to that soil. And we're going to get into a lot of great stuff today, man. But before I usually kick things off, I usually just like to ask everyone, you know, how things are going where they're chilling at. You know, I know you're out in Colorado, or out in Montrose. How, how is everything going on the farm, dude? It's going really good. So planning time of year, right? Um, as far as the vegetable farm goes, yeah. my wife runs a vegetable farm right next to our retail store. We've got some animals that are like mascots or pets. We've got two pigs. We've got some chickens. Wow. And so maintaining that. And then in the greenhouse, we're growing winter greens. But right now, it's all the planning, getting the seeds lined out, planning when everything's going to get germinated. And so my wife is in here earlier today, just making sure that that's going to go off smoothly. Um, and then just the vibe around here for 2023, once we finally get through the holidays, the phones start ringing, people start thinking about their garden. And so the vibe's up. It feels like it's going to be a busy year. 
And not only that, today is week eight in the YouTube 10 by 10 series that's like literally in my office the other way. So it stinks in here right now. There's flowers, the tropical tent that we're doing, like it's starting to come together. And so just generally things are really good down here right now. That sounds amazing, man. That That is like the best time of year, you know, when, when you got the harvest going right after Christmas, everything is picking yeah. back up. You know, you're fully recharged and you're ready to go and get them, man. And I love that. That sounds great. Yep. I love winter <laughs> harvest, that indoor and winter, like the temperature control is easier. And I swear you, you just get fire out of your winter harvest. Yeah, so true. And a lot of times the colors and stuff come out during those winter harvests as well, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. That cooler temperature really helps bring it out literally because i've grown some of the same strains in summer and it came out a lot greener than it did when i grew it in winter they call that the phenotypic expression and we could get into weird shit for days but a lot of times breeders and you know just growers to use the right words will say hey look at that pheno yeah but really it's a genotype and when you change the temperature that's the phenotype coming out right it's different expressions under different environments um I love to experience that because, you know, one grown in the mountains versus sea level or indoors, like the same herb can be very, very different. So. Yeah, so true, dude. And that's a great point, like mountain level and just indoors, because I grew out in the Caribbean for a very long time. I lived out there for a super long time. So I grew out there. And a lot of the times, because it's so warm and a lot more humid, it was a little bit more difficult to get those beautiful colors unless yep. you're growing in like an AC unit room, you know, completely. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. So from the Caribbean and then you moved to Denver, like in the last couple of years, right? Yeah, man. Like actually earlier this year. So actually no earlier last year. I keep thinking we're in 2022. (laughs) Well, if I do everything right this year, I'll be in an, I'll be somewhere tropical one day. So (laughs) Ah, man, that would be awesome, man. You got to hit me up. I'm going to show you some places in the tropics for sure, dude. That's why we're doing the tropical 10 by 10. It's like tapping into a dream a little early, you know? Oh, that sounds amazing, man. I actually love your 10 by 10 setups, man. I'm tuned in all the time on YouTube. Like guys, if you aren't checked out to this guy's YouTube channel, you definitely need to check out the Build of Soil YouTube channel check out their instagram page they recently crushed 110 120 and 130k on youtube making some great great moves man so oh frick congratulations on that dude i didn't even i forgot to say congratulations on that brother (laughs) thank you it's been really cool we had a kind of a serendipitous meeting of minds we had a this guy named dean that moved in here from texas and Mm -hmm. was growing and visiting build a soil and he comes up to me one day he goes you need to do your youtube and i'm like i know but i have to like upload and edit and i just you know instagram boop boop He's like, that's what I do. And I was like, we're in, bro. And dude, everything he said would come true has come true faster than I ever expected. So very cool. I know how much work it takes. So respect for you for doing all these videos. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, man. Thank you, man. Well, uh, it goes to your personality, man. Not just your personality, but I think a lot of it goes to uh, the information that you put out in the community because a lot of growers love that, you know, you share that information. You're so welcoming and, you know, giving and sharing with that information. And that's super important because what, what I've noticed when I started growing is that a lot of growers like to show their plants. They got some beautiful plants. They want everyone to know they got beautiful plants. But when beginners ask, how, how, how do you grow your plants? Like, how can I get buds like that? They are not really willing to share the information. You know, they just want yeah. you to know that they grow the best plants. So yep. props to you on that, dude. And, and that kind of leads me into my next question. Like, uh, how did you like get into, you know, the, the industry? How did you start off gardening? Like, well, what made you fall in love with gardening in the first place? Good question, man. That really brings it back. Um, you know, I think even that story about how some growers don't want to share how that's a holdback from another time where, yeah. You know, in the black market, you wanted to have the best, move those packs, and you don't want someone else to kind of cut in on that market. And while I never really, I never slanged heavy, uh, I was like a lot of us growers that we just wanted to support our own habit. So if we had a few few friends that would, you know, want to share, it was always helpful. 
Um, but from, from my interest where I started, I just, once I found cannabis, I knew it would be a part of my life. And I, I think early on, I kind of struggled with the fact that, Hey, is this something that is, is this going to take away from the life that I'm trying to build or can this be a part of it? And then the veil starts to get pulled back and you hear doctors, lawyers, it turns like everybody has consumes. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe some people are the problem. Maybe, maybe not the plant. And I was able to validate that in my own life as far as working out, running and running a business and everything else. Like it never really became an issue. Um, and thank God for that. I mean, it's one of these rare things out there that obviously it can become something you can be dependent upon, but it's one of those that is very forgiving. And so I really respect the plant. And when I moved to Colorado, I'd grown a little bit before, but it was nothing too serious. There was a million dispensaries around me and um, in California. But when I moved here, it was just a lot harder. You know, it was the first time I'd ever seen brick. Like I grew up in Orange County and I just like chronic was all you ever saw. It was like just herb. It was like, just give me a bag of weed. It wasn't anything special. I remember asking for purple stuff or anything fancy. And my dealer's like, bro, that doesn't exist. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was just, you know, it was a lot harder to get information before prohibition, you know, really kind of started to end at least recreationally, medically across a number of states. And now we can all share this information and talk. And so in 09, I moved to Colorado and I started growing a lot heavier at that point. And I grew a lot of different ways. I did recirculating deep water culture. I did little hydro buckets. I did cocoa core. I messed with many different methods and I kept tinkering. I was always like trying the new product at the hydro store. And I, I ate organically and I bought organic food and produce just because I, I did realize that the Roundup spray and some of the practices weren't something that I was in line with. Yeah. And, um, all that being the same, I started to compare and I started to grow a little food because cannabis was a gateway for me. I was like, well, I'm going to grow other plants. This is amazing. And so I started doing that and I was using my cannabis nutrients on like peppers and tomatoes. And like, <laughs> Do I have to flush my peppers? Oh, can I eat this? Like, <laughs> and so with those questions, I started getting into the organic forms on IC mag. Yeah. And there was a big one, the recycle, uh, recycled organic living soil through like recycle. I forget the rolls thread on IC mag and, Clackamas Coot in Afghanistan and uh, Tim Wilson of Microbe Organics and just a whole bunch of people were in there. Blue Jay Way. I mean, he's now Mountain Organics. Ooh, a yeah. lot evolved from that original forum. And, and in that thread, they were just sharing just mind-blowing information like, you know, kelp has these hormones. As you know, compost does this. And I just, every time there was a question, there was a better answer. Wow. It was the first time where I saw that you'd ask about organics and a lot of guys are like, Oh, you can't do that. It doesn't work or it's not as good. Or it doesn't yield well. And then there was this group of people being like, that's all bullshit. You've been sold a bunch of lies. And so that got me intrigued. I started mixing different recipes, Gaskanistan's recipe, Coots recipe, um, recipes that I'd read from other people. And part of that was I'd go to the national forest up here and gather leaf litter and some compost stuff. And it felt like I was really making something special. And the Coots recipe did really, really well. And so a lot of us just started sharing it with our friends and then it was hard to source ingredients. And so that's eventually where build as well kind of came out of. But, um, a lot of people are like, did you go to school for this? What's your background? It's just pure passion. Yeah. And so similarly to like, I practice jujitsu and one of the things that's cool about jujitsu is that you can learn from black belts. They don't keep that secret. They want you to learn. They want you to get proficient with what they know and bring it back to them and see if they can still beat you. It's yeah. like, iron sharpening iron it's just like i was just about it's, to see it's, it's the way 
And yeah. so when now that we can all share with each other, it used to be when Dolosol first started, people were like, I wonder if anybody could do this commercially. You could keep the soil and save money. It'd be amazing. People were like, nah, I don't think it'll work, man. And then GLP Nevada um, was one of the first commercial grows we worked on. And they've been killing it. It's just steady. And tons of other grows have come out, figured it out. But you know, in the beginning, it was like converting a hydro room that didn't have the shape for it. And now people are literally building living soil grows with wide doors and rolling beds. And yeah, dude. Like, everything's changed in the last decade. And February, so next month, it'll it'll mark our 10th anniversary from the day we got our business license. And we started it about a year before. man. So wow. It's a big year right now. Yeah, dude. It's a massive year, man. I can hear the passion coming straight out of you, man. And a lot of people say, you know, they may say like, what's your background? What's your, uh, did you go to school for that? But a lot of it is experience, you know, just being passionate, learning from experience. And, and a lot of times nothing can beat experience. Even if you have your degrees and you go for a job, a lot of these employees want to know what experience you got, you know, so well, not only that, but when it comes to growing, like it's this weird thing where people see money in it and they want to help and it's fun, but there are other companies out there that carry similar products and they're in the industry. There's big companies, small companies. And like I mentioned, if they're not actively growing, yeah, then how can we trust? And yeah. so if I'm going to do jujitsu, I don't want to learn from some guy who's never grappled, but read tons of books. Yeah. And what's so great about jujitsu is you can find out instantaneously if it's all bullshit or not, because you can grapple. Yeah. But you can't grapple online with these growers if they don't have any plants or if they run a company and they don't actually smoke or don't grow. You just may not know. Yeah. And so when you can get to, I think part of our success is that the last 10 years, there's never been a day that I didn't have a grow going. 24-7, 365. We've documented every single one of them through Instagram and YouTube. And we've finished every single one of them fully except for where I got ripped one time. But we just we just walk it every single yeah. day. It's like being a personal trainer. You should be at the gym every day, not just yeah. preaching from 10 years ago, you know? Yeah, man. That's so, so true, man. Again, I hear that passion coming out of you. And that's a great analogy with the jujitsu dude. Uh, but I got a question, man. What sort of like pulled you, you know, into the organic style of gardening as opposed to synthetics? Because I'm, I'm sure that at some point in your life, you probably used the bottle, right? Yeah, definitely use bottles. I ran the Lucas formula for a while. I've used advanced nutrients. I've used all the stuff that I would never use today. But I think that that's part of my experience. I went through, instead of questioning everything, trying everything, and then eventually developing my own, my own kind of feeling on that. Now, I think had I started today, I probably wouldn't have done that because there's more options now. There's a Build-A-Soil. There's other soil companies out there that you can start with where when I first started, there wasn't those options, right? You'd have to make super soil from scratch via subcool. And that was kind of like one of the big recipes. Right, going around and so as far as... As far as that goes, I think that the way that I got into organics was several reasons, but I had two dads, my stepdad who raised me and my biological father, who was both incredible people. And part of why I started build a soil is when my dad passed, I realized life's pretty short. But one of the things he taught me growing up was that there's a lot of chemicals out there that may or may not have a harm as we get older. And if you can avoid it, it's been proven for thousands of years, these older methods work. Yeah. That doesn't mean don't go to the doctor for toothache and stuff like that, but he was very much into understanding what some of the often purchased products may have in them. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And so I started eating organically and uh, early on I had like a Vitamix blender and I would do cleanses and I would be, you know, surfing growing up in California, just trying to keep my energy up. And very young, I just really wanted to be as healthy as possible. It seemed like a worthwhile investment. So when I started growing um, naturally after using the bottles for a while, I was thinking, I wonder how you grow organic, you know? 
And obviously it's not like in a field where you're spraying for weeds. So it's slightly different as far as what organic means. But I remember a lot of my buddies that were very educated, they would say, why organic doesn't matter. Like, right. Like the banana, it's thick. You you can spray it. It's not going to get in there. And I'm like, but it's made from it on the inside, (laughs) you know, like, I don't understand how you don't get this. And then we would have conversations like, well, GMO could change the world. It could be helpful. And I'm like, that's cool if they did it for that purpose, but they do it to alter it so they can sell pesticides and herbicides that you coat the plant in. And I'm like, so by nature, 99.9% of all GMOs are modified to take chemical as opposed to modified for some beneficial reason. Now, golden spinach or whatever, or golden rice, I'm sorry, was one of the reasons, but it never took off. It, It was a failure. And so to me, the research that I could do, the experience from my father who taught me to avoid these chemicals at all costs if possible. That coupled with the fact that the best herb legendarily has been grown in a very natural method outdoors. Yeah. It made sense to duplicate that. And then when I found that people were doing it and could do it and they, they said that it was better, I had to see for myself. And so having both experiences, obviously genetics and environment are huge, but when I meet somebody that's going to grow for the first time, Typically what happens is they either have a failure or they grow herb. That's not like what they get in the dispensary and they're frustrated by that. But when you grow living soil for the first time, if you follow good instructions, you have stuff that's better than that. And it blows their mind. It smells good. It's sticky and greasy. It's dense taste, everything they're looking for. And so I think once you experience that, it can, it can be duplicated in hydro. I'm not trying to say it's not possible, but it, it really attracts the type of person. Most of our customers are going to be like, 25 to 45, not 19. They've yeah. gone through a little more experience. I tend to attract someone a little bit wiser and, or a little bit more mature, I should say. And then along with that, I feel like they value other parts of the organics. Um, and it's kind of like a decision. They're not looking for, should I go hydro or organic? A lot of times they've decided organic and then which way from there. And then as I got older, I realized, wow, having a big bed of living soil works with how busy I am. I can go snowboarding on the weekend or I can spend time with my family and have a job and things go productively well. Where when I was on hydro, I mean, I had to call in sick to work for flood. (laughs) Oh my God, I flooded the whole room. Or, you know, um, you could have like a crop literally turn on a dime because of a mistake. Yeah. And so I feel like the living soil was more forgiving and I just went with it like all in and I've never looked back the last decade. That's all I've been doing and thinking about So. That is beautiful, man. I honestly love hearing these things, dude. But uh, I always ask people that come on to the show, you know, like, what's their inspiration behind the name? So you guys name Builder Soil. It says so much in such a short name, you know, and, and, and it's beautiful. But tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind it. Well, from a sales and marketing perspective, I was trying to think of a, uh, myself thinking, can you type it out? Is it going to be like horticultural living indoor supply? Like, how do you add that to the end of your email? I wanted it kind of short and distinct. And then we would oftentimes I'd be on the forum and someone's like, yo, I'm about to build a soil. Should I get some compost? I was going to build a soil. How much pumice? Or I was going to make some soil. And so I just like yeah. building to me stimulates up. And a lot yeah. of the living organic soil is to build the soil up, not to till it down. Yeah. And so I thought, let's build a soil. And when I said it out loud, I was like, man, I mean, there's build a bear, build a this, build it. You know, there's it, it like, it, it is a thing. But to me, ever since it came off the tongue, I was like, this is it makes sense because we build soil yeah and it just stuck since then and it feels a little cheesy at times but like i'm glad we went with something very simple because it's really what we do 
Yeah, man. I think it's perfect and like it's recognizable and it's you guys. When I when I hear that now, I think of you guys. I think of of you know the Build a Soil Family Farms and you guys are doing some great stuff. And as I said, guys, they're definitely on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're on YouTube. Check them out all over, man, and just give them a follow. You'll definitely learn at least one thing. You know, at least one thing. But uh, man, uh, one thing that I've noticed is that microbes are super important when it comes to these living soil setups, man. And microbes are something that you uh, preach about quite often. So just for those who may want to get into the living soil setup, but you know, they're, they're still on the bottle. Just explain how important microbes really are. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I think this is part of the correlation from the differences. So when you have synthetic nutrients, what we're looking for is the end result that would normally happen through a microbial community. And so in essence, it's almost like someone feeding you intravenously, giving you the perfect formula so that you can live. Yeah. But what starts to happen is you're not using your teeth, your stomach, or any of the natural parts that actually work for that. And so a lot of us believe that when you grow organically, the plant has to work for it. And there's a relationship and symbiosis that's built between the plant and the soil. And so what started off was, well, what if the pH is wrong? Yeah. And you learn that organically, the, the, the root at the tip it can send exudates out that feed the microbial population that can alter the pH in that very thin zone and stimulate it so they can take up nutrients and do what they need. And so I thought, wow, how smart. Why would I want to bypass all that natural intelligence? And I learned that bypassing that allows you to be fast and specific, kind of like a white lab coat, like a doctor saying, aha, here's a pill. I have fixed your pain. But the organic side of the microbial community goes deeper. Instead of saying, Oh, your stomach's upset. Here's a pill. They say, why? What have you been eating? Let's look at your gut. Is it healthy? And if you've been eating unhealthy and drinking a lot and just generally not keeping a good, healthy gut microbiome, you're not going to absorb nutrients in your body and disease yeah. can start. And so when I realized that those correlated, I started to understand, okay, this biological community in the soil, that's what's responsible for eating all the organic material and converting it to what would be in a synthetic bottle. Yeah. And so then the argument becomes, well, if it takes all that work, why wouldn't you just cut out the middleman and just buy it if it's all the same? I believe there are some big differences. You know, there's multiple types of nitrogen. Some affect the pH more than others as far as which type. Um, and when we are trying to be in control, we have to be. So like Masanobo Fukuoka, he discusses how a, a tree grown from seed does not need pruning. But one that you've pruned, now you must prune forever because it'll break its own branches. It will not never be right. And so similarly, if we're always using nutrient bottles, now we must be good. And that's why it does take some knowledge. Like you have to flush and you have to add the right amount and you have to be aware of like, oh, is that calcium? Is that this? Where when you're trusting soil, as long as the buffet is full and what we found when we started building soil at the lab was we didn't want excesses. It's harder to take stuff out. It's easier to add it. So as long as there's not too much sodium, not too much bicarbonate, any bad guys in there, the microbes will proliferate. And they'll be able to break down all of the nutrients and help the plant take it up in the amount that it needs, in the proportions that it needs, according to its own genetics. And so that allows you to have a full room of different genetics, all in the same soil, and they're all crushing it. Versus yeah. when I was in hydro, I'm like, well, that one's smaller. I'll give it a half dose. I'll mix up a strong dose for that one. And you end up running like a small little business op every day <laughs> to figure out how to feed your plants. And so um, lots of reasons, but the microbial community there controls the pH, helps the uptake of nutrients and acts kind of like your stomach does in a human where synthetic is like straight in, right? Yeah. 
So true, man. And that is that is a great analogy as well. A lot of you guys who may not understand exactly how important the microbes are, they literally are like the living, working organisms that do everything in the soil for you, that, you know, sort of let the plant uh, do what it needs to do. And that analogy as well with the gut, I think that's also a great analogy because when you're feeding your plants, you know, a lot of these bottle nutrients, I've used a lot of synthetics, uh, the plants, you know, they, they get what they need and they will grow, you know, don't get me wrong, yep. but they they just may not be able to reach their fullest potential show in, in certain in certain ways uh and I, that's just something that i've found but for a lot of people who are using these living soil setups man how do they know when their microbes are working how do you know exactly what what's going on well i think plant health is one thing and i also think you don't need any microbes like we have tons of microbial products and they're great don't get me wrong i also like drink kombucha and i make <laughs> sourdough too. bread and there's things like that i enjoy for myself that i know are good like sauerkraut phenomenal but you don't need a microbe for that. You just go chop up some cabbage, put some salt in it, and the lactobacillus is naturally there. Yeah. So in a good living soil, what we mean by living soil is that it's alive. And so to me, what that means, when I first started, I was like, well, why don't I just go to the hydro shop and buy some soil? Is that Why is that not living? Yeah. What I realized was it didn't have all of the rock dust, all of the composts, all of the things that mimic soil outside that is alive, that has decay. And so anytime you bring carbon, like seed meals and leaf litter and all the inputs we put in our soil, yeah. that with the compost, it's full of life and it's working. But if you've overwatered, the microbial community can steer towards anaerobic microbes because nature doesn't see good or bad. They just see a job to do. Yeah. And so you can most often tell your microbes are working when your plants are growing healthy and you're in a living soil. Now, if we're worried about things like maybe we had a dry down or maybe we're in really small containers. And so we're worried about that community staying thriving, adding these microbial products. It definitely makes a difference in the sense that we're constantly out competing with what we know to be positive over and over again. But I'm also reminded that, you know, um, Masanobu Fukuoka, his one straw revolution book, it's a great read. Um, he oftentimes reminds us that nature has everything. You don't need any of that. Yeah. And so I don't want people to overthink the living part of it. If you're in a good environment where it's warm and there's water in the soil and you've got a plant growing, I promise you the microbial conditions are off the chart in there. But if we're like adding hydrogen peroxide and using just cocoa and no compost and, and then adding microbes sometime, yeah, there's going to be booms and busts of microbes. And we'll have to add it all the time. Yeah. And hydro growers oftentimes will add microbes because they'll clean the roots and keep things healthy, and they'll also they'll also increase the terpene level on the herb. So, when commercials started getting big, we'd see a lot of the hydro grows with less than one percent terpene content, and some of that was genetics, right? And then the addition of testing, yeah, um, and drying and curing and stuff um, allowed them to steer towards better genetics. But yeah. what we saw is that when someone grew um, organically with a similar strain, they'd be getting three, four, five, six percent terpene levels. And so the hydro guys started to add some of the benefits like humix or fulvix and microbes and started to tweak the hydro to kind of raise the levels a little. Yeah. But I really do believe that we don't have to be like, we can be a steward of the plant and let it work for us. We don't have to control every detail and be the master. And I think yeah. we get better results that way. So 
Yeah, I agree with that fully, man. And that's something that I've learned as I as I progressed. So as I just got got, you know, more into gardening, less is more a lot of the times. And sometimes when you take a hands off approach with some of the living soil setups, you just let the soil do its thing. Everything is already in check, you yep. know. Uh, now, someone actually asked me recently, man, you know, they were mixing up their own soil, you know, they're adding organic amendments and stuff like that. And they were, they asked, should I leave it to sit for a little bit or should I just mix in my, my organic amendments at transplant? What's the best way to do it? What would you say? This is a good question. We used to argue about it a lot on that rolls thread and there was mixed emotions about this. Yeah. So many people said you need to sit it for a long time to, to cook. Yeah. But I noticed Coop didn't really feel that way. And I think part of it was the recipe. And so when I look at what Clackamas Coot's recipe is, for those that don't know, he recommended a series of minerals and amendments that were very simple and a very short list. And we're like, really, that's it? That'll work? And it works really well. But that's the difference. It's a short list. Normally, like guys would come in online or call me, they'd have a laundry list of handwriting, like two pieces of paper from their buddies. Like, I need four pounds of this and eight pounds of that, two pounds of this. And it was like super soil on steroids. When you mix that much in soil, typically what happens is you're going to upset the carbon to nitrogen ratio and there's going to be microbes called thermophiles that go to work and it heats everything up and it actually starts to compost or cook. And so a lot of these recipes, if you mix and you mix it in a good enough volume, it'll go really hot and that can be bad for the plants, but a couple of turns and a couple of weeks, it's all cool and ready to go again. And so that's the best practice if you're really worried about it. But Coot's recipe, it didn't really go thermal. And if it did, it was maybe in the 110, 120 degree range. It didn't go hot, hot. And what's interesting is when you break it down in a smaller container, it doesn't go hot again. So Coot's recipe, I would mix and I'd plant right into. And typically the only thing that happens is if it's not, if it's still wanting to kind of ignite, it might be just like a little bit low on nitrogen or something until the microbes stop breaking stuff down and re-release to work on your plant. Yeah. But for the most part, as long as you're following a good recipe, it's pretty safe. It used to be that people would add tons of blood meal and just lots of inputs, and that would absolutely make it go hot. Um, so rule of thumb has always been wait a couple of weeks, make sure it's the proper moisture. And I feel like there's something to be said about taking your time in the sense that when you rush it in a couple of hours, mix it, wet it, and plant in it, it it'll work. But the water is like not fully congealed. And so I almost call it like homogenizing. Like you mix this together and it's like, it just starts to like come together where yeah. all those dry amendments start to get wet. The microbes start to work on it. And so in that week or two, by the time you plant, it's like off and running. But it's if you ready. mix it and plant that day, sometimes the plants are mad at you for a couple of days and then they take <laughs> off. So it's not the end of the world. I would say if you're going to, if you really have to get after it, you can mix and go, especially with a lot of our recipes. But um, the other factor is a lot of composts aren't properly finished. And so when we were copying recipes online, you know, you could call a guy from California to New York and you could say, what's your pH? Which nutrient bottle are you using? What's your environment? Duplication. And we can talk about it. But if you're saying, hey, go mix compost, go mix this. The compost in New York might be very different than the Craigslist compost you found. And it could be ruining your whole crop. Yeah. And so I think a lot of these like wait two weeks, all this stuff came from the problems that could occur when we weren't duplicating an exact process. Um, so the answer, like most of the time in organics is it depends. Yeah. If you don't know. Time is better. When you do know, you can definitely start to cut corners 
in areas um, that make sense. So. so true, dude, man. I love that. You're, you're just pitting facts, man. And I can tell that uh, you've had experience with it, man. And one thing, I, one thing I would say is that uh, I've had instances where I've added too many inputs. I just went sort of crazy, no thinking. Uh, believe in the old myth. You know, if you're in organics, you can't burn. But sometimes you can run a little bit hot. And, you know, you see some of those issues start to come out in the leaves. The leaves start to see issues and stuff like that. Uh, is that something that you've experienced ever as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've experienced a mixture of things. I think that when you top dress, it's a little more forgiving. It's kind of like the forest drops all the leaves. Yeah. Um, when you put it on top, the plant isn't necessarily forced to take it. But when you mix everything in, you can overdo it. And even though they say it can't burn or whatever, um, I feel like we lower our yield and quality when we add more. I'd rather see you add less and maybe go, oh, man, I could have added a little more. And then do a larger soil volume. Yeah. It's like – Instead of trying to turbocharge it in a little container, just go raw horsepower. Get a bigger, you know, there's less to break. It's like when I have a big container and there's a lot less in it, the, the plant roots can reach further to get new food as yeah. opposed to in this one thing, just dealing with all this food and trying to figure it out. Um, so I've definitely experienced that. You definitely can overdo it. And I think that most people do overdo it. It's like a carryover from hydro where you're always doing something. And so to just put a plant in there and do nothing, it feels very foreign. And we're always like, I'll add some more. If a little is good, more is better. And I think that over the first couple of years, people really do figure that out. And they get some unbelievable runs with very, very little input. So. Yeah, man, that's just more a lot of the time. Now, you mentioned like soil volume and container size a couple of times, man. So for a lot of people who are doing organics, and uh, there's a lot of debate about this, what what would you say is like the, the ideal pot size, you know, for an indoor grower? Because some indoor growers find it difficult to get, you know, massive pots in there. Well, it's interesting to me because I feel like if you have a canopy that's four by four, you should be able to fit any amount of soil to fit under that. You already yeah. have the four foot by four foot area. Literally, I think what it is, is people are scared to invest in something that's hard to move around yeah. in an emergency. Maybe they're in an apartment somewhere and you want to put a hundred gallons of soil right there. So I get some of those reasons, but when someone's got a, a three gallon pot with empty space, three feet over to another three gallon <laughs> pot, I'm like, you could fit a 15 gallon there just the same as you could put a three gallon. It's not much more footprint in the area. Literally, um, If you're sea of green and every three gallon is wall to wall, I get it. But what I consider is more soil per canopy. Okay. So under a four by four, I would consider running three gallons if I did like 20 of them or as many would fit in that area. That would still be 60 gallons of soil for that four by four area if yeah. I had 23 gallons. But I would flip immediately into flour with zero veg time because I know those plants would still be able to run out of it. So to me, I think of that as soil per canopy. And if you can fit, you know, a four by four container in your four by four area, that's more than 100 gallons of soil. It's a lot yeah. of horsepower. But you could also do four 30 gallons and be more soil than that. You could do four 20 gallons. Either way, the idea is to kind of max it out. But I've noticed a sweet spot. Most people that are indoors, I think they over veg. And yeah. it's kind of a carryover that we're trying to get a big plant and then flip the flower. Where if you have a plant that's pretty stretchy and in living soil, you veg one, two, three weeks, you can fill up the entire canopy. And so from that, it makes it easier to see the benefit of a larger container. What I mean yeah. by that is if you're in a 10 gallon and you over veg it, when you flip to flower, the plants double in size or triple. Sometimes it's called stretch stretch, not all the genetics, but a lot of them. Okay. And what'll happen is you need the roots to be able to stretch also. Oh, okay. So the best soil container size is one that has plenty of room for root stretch when you go to flower. So if you're in a five gallon, you better flip to flower the day you plant up. 
and then you'll probably be fine. But what we found was you could probably deplete that five gallon almost all the way in one round. And the better way for no-till, so we don't have to throw the soil away, so we can keep it forever, is to have a soil volume enough where we're maybe going to 30, 40, 50% of its life and never really like completely breaking it because then it's like starting from scratch every time. Yeah. And so my ideal is a 15 gallon and up. And I think once you get to 20, 30 gallons, it's like, it's every bit as good as a big bed with one plant. I mean, it's just easy. It crushes. Um, but if you can't do that, the most important thing is to consider the plant size versus the container size. And because we're not using synthetics as above, so below, we want to have a plant that's roughly the same size as our container above. Yeah. If you grow a canopy that's five times the size of the soil container, it's going to be harder. You're going to have to supplement teas and feeds and all these things. So that's my advice. If someone could start with a minimum 15 gallon, I think they'll absolutely crush it. The only caveat I have to that is for brand new growers, the earth box, it's like 10 gallons of soil or so. It is one of the easiest methods I've ever used. You put a plant into it, you water down the tube and it wicks the moisture on its own and you I don't have to do that. much. Yeah, I man. heard about those, man. Wow. It that really is pretty is. dope. I was about to say grassroots fabric pots. Always I got, love grassroots, but a lot of people are scared to learn how to water. And the earth box takes that out of the equation. Yeah, so, that's so true. Because if you have a 100-gallon container, I think a lot of people are worried they'll overwater that and be screwed. Yeah. And so I understand some of the trepidation, but I've referenced it many different ways. I feel like, can you imagine having like a, a cup this big and trying to keep a goldfish alive? You better be a scientist, like perfect pH, just the right amount of food so it won't die. You got to clean it, make sure it's everything's healthy. But if Dang. I put that same fish in a 100-gallon tank, I could probably not check on it for a month. And yeah. the pH isn't going to swing and the fish will still be alive as long as it's fed. So I just think making it easier on yourself to produce higher quality, it makes sense to get a little bit more soil. And then when you don't throw it away, the investment pays for itself pretty quickly. So. Yeah, so true, dude. So, so friggin' true, man. Well, that's a great point. And a lot of you guys who were looking into living soil setups, that's a tip for all you guys, man, because pots are super important. You got to pick the right one, man. But you mentioned earlier as well, like flushing. Do you do flushing in organics? You flush it all? Nope, no flushing. Um, you know, this is another big argument. It's a huge topic of conversation. We talked about it in the rolls thread back in the day, and everybody had their own opinion. But essentially, what, what the key difference is, is when you're in hydro, it absolutely makes sense to flush because we're talking readily soluble nutrients. So the plant can't stop taking it. It's just forced. Any water it's drinking is going to have the nutrients with yeah. and it's going to have to deal with them. And so cutting that out allows the plant to stop doing that and kind of finish. But if you've never ran a genetic before and you don't know its true potential, you're left with a schedule and you say, okay, I'm going to start flushing. It's the end of week six or seven or however long you want to flush for. And the plant will go into senescence and die and basically it's harvest time. But when you're in living soil, you could have an, a, an amount of soil with tons of nutrition. And when the plant is ready, it will go through senescence and it'll start to fade on its own, even though there's food in the soil and it will take its natural trip towards death. That might be nine weeks, 10 weeks, might be eight weeks. But what we get is we get to see its genetic potential. We get to see when it's finished growing because it can just stop taking those nutrients up because it has to feed exudates and work to get them and it'll still finish on its own. And when we see that happen, we realize, oh, there's no need to flush. The plant will finish on its own. I obviously don't want a stark green, dark, nitrogen-rich plant at harvest, but some genetics are more that way than others. And you really get to see that living soil. Some fade like crazy. Some don't as much. And I've seen both of them burn well, depending on the right 
you know, the genetics, the finish time and the cure. Um, but in living soil, the nutrients are held by cation exchange. So just dumping a little water on there, unless you're just really leaching it out, is not going to change anything. And even in hydro, you know, obviously I want properly finished herb and there's a lot of feelings about this, but in hydro, when, when the leaves are fading, that's feeding itself the mobile nutrients from the leaf. It's still feeding, so to speak. Yeah. And so others think that the lack of chlorophyll there makes it slightly more palatable. Um, I think each genetic's different. And I feel like in living soil, certainly there's no reason to flush because there's no salt buildup. Yeah. And so in hydro, I think the best reason to flush is you do get buildup. And so if you don't flush, you're not getting proper nutrient uptake. But I think that if you had a really good grower and they didn't flush versus one that did, it'd be hard to tell the difference between the two herbs, even though a lot of people would say, if you don't flush, it's ruined. So when it comes to living soil, there's no reason, in my opinion. Uh, we worked really hard to build that soil, and there's no reason to try and leach nutrients out because the plant's really not taking them up towards the end anyways. Um, I do oftentimes do water only. And so a lot of living soil growers would joke, I flush the whole time, like I'm never adding any food. Um, but it's, you know, it's not a, it's a very complicated conversation. I think a lot of people picture a plant drinking nutrients like up, like through a straw. Yeah. Like once the nutrients are in the plant, it's become a plant. There's no like soluble nutrients <laughs> in the plant that we need to like drain out. It doesn't exist. It's turned into flour. Right. So yeah. It's so true, dude, man. I love that. And that is such a, uh, a topic of, of controversy, you know, in the industry, a lot of people always uh, have convert controversial views when it comes to flushing, you know, even yeah. in living soil setups, man. So well, I just I mean, want... you look at tobacco, they talk about nitrogen, but that's leaf. It's different. We smoke flour. Yeah. Um, I also think heavy metals, right? Like the tobaccos and accumulator it can pull up cadmium, and a lot of other harsh ones. Yeah. But we smoke the leaf. And I think that's why it's so dangerous where like if you have a heavy metal failure in cannabis, you can wash the rot, the resin and you can actually smoke that. And there's no heavy metal in it. It's stored in the leaf material. And yeah. so um, I just think that there's more to learn, right? But a lot of the science leads to the fact that the flushing is not really important. But all the living soil growers that I know, they're like, well, I'm only using water anyways. What else would I do, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, in agriculture, they call it leaching. And yeah. so if you have an acre that's too high in sodium, maybe because there's more evaporation, little rainfall, they will put some gypsum down or some sulfur and they will actually flood that field to try and leach some of the material out. But yeah, I got you, man. Well, look, damn, man, this living soil conversation is definitely worth a thumbs up, guys. So hit that like button because Jeremy is a super knowledgeable guy, man. And I know I've learned a lot in this episode. Mm -hmm.